This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast as we take another delve into all things Saints FC. There is now just one more weekend before Christmas, but while many of us can start to switch off from work and look forward to relaxing with our families, the same can't be said for Saints. It's a tough looking seven days ahead for our favourite red and whites, alongside Santa of course, with a visit to Arsenal on Wednesday followed up by Pep Guardiola's Manchester City on Saturday. In this pod we'll do a combined preview of both those games. We'll also be reflecting on the Sheffield United fixture this past weekend, which saw Saints ruthlessly put the blades to the sword. Get it? 3-0. Sandwiched in the middle of that is our latest Red and White Insight feature, which sees us welcome the head of the Saints Foundation, Greg Baker, who talks about the various challenges 2020 has brought, as well as his hopes and expectations for the Foundation in 2021. Alongside Glenn, Steve and myself, we're pleased to be welcoming Dan Sheldon back, our guest from The Athletic. Firstly, evening all. Evening. Evening. That Blades sword joke was met by a wall of silence. That's never a good start. It just yeah. sounded so natural, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the delivery, the timing, no, everything. It sounded no. completely off the cuff and I was, uh, inspired. I was yeah. disappointed the Edinburgh Fringe Festival was cancelled this year, Glenn, but I'm trying my best for next year to get sort of some <laughs> material ready, all right? So, uh, yeah. There we go. Anyway, Glenn and I uh, and Steve obviously caught up, uh, what, three or four days ago, so we won't uh, have too much chit-chat. But, Dan, good to have you back. I know you were working down at Brighton, and uh, obviously you were working uh, back today, but a good week off uh, sort of in between? Yeah, it wasn't too bad, thank you. Nice to sort of switch the laptop off for a few days. Obviously had the Gabbiadini piece go out in the middle of the week, so I kind of went back on Twitter to sort of plug that one. But, no, it's always nice to 
you know, switch off from Southampton for a few days, especially how busy it's going to get very quickly. But no, yeah, thank you. I enjoyed the pod that, that you guys put out as well. That was a good listen. I, I much prefer listening when I'm not on it, which probably says something. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I, I, I never listen back to the ones that I'm on because I hate the sound of my own voice when it's been recorded. Yeah. You've done like a hundred um, of these now, Steve. So that's, yeah, that's a problem. I know. Yeah, I've, I've, so therefore I've missed quite a few of them. <laughs> yeah, I hate the sound of your voice. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say there must be plenty of people that hate, hate the sound know, of my voice. I, I was going to say just on Gabbiadini then, uh, Dan, because I'm sure when he was at Saints, he didn't speak particularly good English. He was always sort of I remember his videos with Saints always had subtitles and stuff. So how did you get on with him? Uh, it was done um, via a translator, so English to Italian, uh, then Italian to English. So no, but I mean, kind to to give up some time and. You know, he wasn't at Southampton for very long, but, you know, he certainly made an impact, scored obviously in the League Cup final, scored the goal against Swansea. And I think Glenn on Twitter probably summed it up perfectly, really. I mean, he was just unfortunate in the in the managers he played for. And then come the January when he got sold, he was one of the only players that the club could sell to, to raise a bit of cash. And Ralph didn't fancy him or wasn't going to play him. Then that seemed the most logical step. Just finally then, because we always like to try and sign pace for uh, people like me, that, uh, and I know Steve does as well, and there's a few others out there that uh, subscribe to The Athletic, Dan, and follow your work. So any hints or tips coming up this week? Any exciting pieces about the fact that uh, the title race is now on and both our rivals have dropped points this weekend, which must be very exciting for you as a reporter? Yeah, it's top, top four all the way, isn't it? I mean, I think it's... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be writing about a European charge, I think. No, uh, on a serious note, I mean, it's it's such a busy week with the game uh, in the middle. I need to speak to my editor where I've been off all week, or all week just gone. We've got a couple of things in the pipeline, a couple of interviews I did towards the end of last week. So just a case of maybe one one of them going out, but I don't know which one yet. So I'll, I'll just keep it under wraps for now. Fair enough. I'm not sure I like the way that you said I'm going to write about a European uh race and then said no seriously at the end of it so there isn't a European race on the go here Dan but uh, there we go anyway before we get going officially I'm delighted to be able to give a shout out to three new TSP patrons who signed up to support the pod this week they are Barney Brander Ewan Morris and Matt Malowski who've become patrons via patreon.com slash total saints podcast so to Barney Ewan and Matt we say a really big thank you for your support and confidence in our pod it means an awful lot guys thank you very much I must also give a shout out to Scott Turnham in Jacksonville, Florida. A big hello and thanks for your email, Scott. Finally, I also want to give a mention to Gary Barrett and the Gibraltar Saints after Gary dropped us an email during the week, which reads, Morning, gents. Just a quick email to say I'm an avid Saints fan and have been for over 40 years. I listen to you guys every week. We only have eight Saints fans here in Gibraltar, but we meet every week to watch the games, but are looking forward to coming back to St. Mary's as soon as they allow flights and fans back into the stadium as we all travel once a month to the games. If you could kindly mention us here, it would greatly appreciate it. Keep up the good work. And finally, come on, you saints. So there you go, Gary. Absolutely uh, keen to shout out. Really appreciate eight, the email. Eight people in Gibraltar. Surely that's about 5% of the population, isn't it? <laughs> I'd say it's probably more than that, isn't it? But yeah, so uh, no, um, seriously, Gary, thanks for the note and uh, for obviously listening to TSP so regularly. We really uh, appreciate hearing from you. Maybe we'll have to get you on for one of our International Supporters Club features before the end of the season. Anyway, let's get going for this week, underpinned by our own TSP patrons. This is TSP 140. <laughs> This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. 
Potential banana skin, Neil one written all over it, McBurney winner incoming, some of the unique and expert analysis this podcast told you just three or four days ago. TSP reverse psychology one, Sheffield United nil. Well, actually, it was a dominant and ruthless 3-0 in the end, but we digress. Glenn, never in doubt. No, it was about as easy as it gets, to be perfectly honest. I think we've all been watching Saints for a long time, and especially at Premier League level, there's never really been that many games where it's been completely comfortable virtually from start to finish. Uh, This was one of them. And part of that was we were very good. And part of that was Sheffield United were abysmally bad. And I can't, I can't say more than that really. You know, I'm thinking about the game and the, the, the first half, I was getting a bit annoyed in the first half before the goals. I didn't feel like we were really causing them enough problems. Um, they, they were keeping it relatively tight, but we were not causing them problems. The opening goal from Adams is a, is a bit of a shambles from their point of view. There's two defenders not doing their job, the goalkeeper not taking command, and Adams has kind of swung and scuffed it in the net. It's a, it's a bit of a strange goal, and you can understand Chris Wilder going nuts about it afterwards. But second half, they had a bit of pressure because they, you know, they had to. They couldn't be as bad again. Um, but that lasted about 10 minutes and, uh, you know, and the, the, the second goal killed the game absolutely stone dead. Uh, but it was nice that we kept going. I thought the, the main positive from the game was that we bought three players off the bench who all had a very good impact. You know, we weren't we weren't notably weaker. It's the I would say it's the strongest bench that we've had for a long, long time. Um, certainly under Ralph and and every player came on and it's it's nice to see Diallo. We have to remember he is very young and he's very new and, and Lundaloo. They both did very, very well. We're going to need a lesson on how to pronounce his name, actually, because I'm not convinced I'm getting that right at I, I, all. No, I, I think you got that right there. <laughs> yeah, OK, fair play. But, um, yeah, those two did well. Nathan Redmond, who's not had the best of times this season, it was, it was great to see him come on and, and score a goal. That was, uh, that was the nicest part of the day. But it was a, it was a dominant, dominant performance, good win, fans back. Mind you, we'd have won that if there'd been zero or 200,000 people in the ground. So, yeah, good day all round, really. Southampton have earned 23 points in this season's Premier League. Only in 2014-15 have we had more than that after our opening 12 matches of a campaign, and that was 26. Um, Steve, joking aside, of course, about the potential banana skins and things like that, you know, historically, those games have been uh, a potential banana skin for Saints. We spoke about it, as I say, on the pod, but... This whole sort of environment and attitude just feels different under Ralph, doesn't it? I think as kickoff came, you know, even I felt almost expecting that we would go ahead and win that game. I think Chris Wilder said after the game that we were one of, if not the best team that they've played uh, this season. So, as I say, it does feel like, um, you know, we're a well-drilled machine now and uh, there wasn't necessarily any surprises in the final result. No, definitely not. I think, I mean, while, yeah, and as, as you say, it, it was a banana skin because, I mean, you look back at our home record over the past two or three years... And it has been against teams that are set up to defend where we've come a cropper more often than not, because we've kind of battered, kind of battered at the at the door for, for for about an hour or so, not quite made the breakthrough. And then we um, switch off at the other end and they and they take advantage and we lose one nil. That that story has been written and retold <laughs> countless times over the years. And yeah. I mean, that's that's not even just a recent thing, is it? Let's face it. That's um, that's been going on for well, as long as as long as well, yeah. I mean, basically, <laughs> as long as as long as there has been football. But yeah, it, it did it did feel like pretty much from from the start. I mean, I think Glenn's right in that there was a period about probably midway through that first half where you kind of thought, okay, well, we're we're utterly dominant here, but they've kind of kept us at arm's length for the most part, apart from 
Vestergaard's probably tried to play the ball over the top a few too many times. He's not quite got it right, and they've they've kind of seen what's coming now, and they're they're able to drop a little bit deeper, so there's less space for him to play that pass. But then all he did was step up into midfield, and then play that little um, that little pass along the ground into Ings where the defender then got across and put in a good good tackle and knock it out for a corner. And kind of that was the moment, I think, where um, we started to open them up a little bit more. I think Vestergaard headed wide from that corner. And then and then obviously the, when the goal came about five minutes or so later, it was like, well, OK, well, we've got we've got the first one now. How many how many do we fancy? Because Sheffield United weren't weren't good at either end of the pitch, really. Aaron Ramsdale was a massive step down from Dean Henderson. I mean, obviously having Jagielka come in at the age of 57 um, <laughs> for his first for his first game of the season into a defence that's kind of struggling anyway. Communication is going to be a problem, especially when you've got a keeper that's not communicating with the guys that have played all season. And it was, I mean, that was basically the reason we got the first goal was because Jagielka basically headed it out of Ramsdale's hands, and then. Um, I think it was Egan, I think, just it didn't didn't bother challenging uh, Adams when the ball dropped about three yards from goal because quite rightly as a centre back, I think you expect your keeper to come and come and yeah. claim that. And they've got I mean they've they've basically taken a huge step back in terms of the, the personnel they've got, literally just by losing one player. And it and it makes makes such a huge difference. And ultimately I mean, whether um, Henderson would have made the difference in in the game overall, maybe, maybe not. But I think just those those two changes has basically made Sheffield United the championship team that everybody thought they would be at the start of last season. Dan, first things first, let's uh, congratulate you, of course, on your uh, perfect prediction. It's only the second one we've had between all of us this season. Of course, you went for uh, Saints to win 3-0. The uh, prediction league, as I'm sure some people are out there keeping tally, I, I don't doubt that. Uh, Dan's on 10 points now, Dan, so you're flying. Um, Glenn's on 8, Steve's on 5, and I'm on 1, but of course we're third in the league, so there's a reason I'm on 1 point. Um, so well done on that, Dan. Um, we spoke about the returning crowd last week. Obviously, it's easier and more enjoyable when the team are winning, of course. But it felt like all of them out there, the players and the fans, really thrived off each other today. You were there, of course. So what did you make of the overall atmosphere? No, I thought it was um, really good. Uh, you know, they were cert- the, the 2,000 fans were certainly loud. They're making a lot of noise, which is what you'd hope for. And it was just, I think it just sort of summed up at the end of the game, really. You know, you could see Ralph and the players were just so happy for supporters to be back in St. Mary's. Yes, it's only 2,000, but we all know 2,000 is better than an empty stadium. You probably, if you're Ralph, you probably couldn't have asked for a better team to sort of welcome fans back to, you know, Sheffield United were obviously atrocious. I know that the guys have singled out Ramsdale, but I do think, you know, in his defence, I mean, the first goal was shambolic. I mean, the second one takes a deflection and the third one, you know, Redmond's allowed to dance his way through the defence um, after yeah. some nice link-up play with Romeo. There's probably not a lot he can do there. And he did make some good saves to deny Danny Ings. But for Ramsdale, it could have been five or six, maybe. Um, but yeah, you know, Steve's right. That first goal was uh, was shocking, uh, goalkeeping and defending. I, th- I think the thing with Ramsdale, Dan, just while you're on him, and again, we're not Sheffield United fans here, but it, it feels like, and maybe this is just his sort of youthful enthusiasm, but he feels like he's in a rush with everything. You know, you look at some keepers like McCarthy, he's very calm and relaxed you know and he's got uh, quite a few years on Ramsdale it's almost like everything he does is in a bit of a rush and he just needs to calm down a little bit yeah I think, yeah I think, too, I think he's too young to be honest to be a regular Premier League keeper he looked it last year and yeah, yeah like, I think you've hit the nail on the head there Ben he, he's just he he's prone to looking like a schoolboy at times with some of his decision making he, he makes some good saves and apart from the first goal I actually didn't think he did too bad today but that he could do with um, a period out of the team, but they probably haven't got anyone else to come in. Mm-hmm. 
Carry on, Dan. Anyway, yeah. Yes. No, um, <laughs> no, I was just saying, you know, Ralph couldn't have, uh, you know, picked a better opponent, and I'm sure Stephen Glynn will be in the in the stadium soon enough. I mean, I, I saw them all queuing up uh, outside to get in, and I did feel a little bit sorry for them because it was obviously chucking down with rain. Now, I'm sure they would have taken that. Uh, it's been a long nine months for, you know, pretty much every supporter up and down the country who goes to watch football on a regular basis. Um, so for that to end for Southampton is obviously just, you know, it's brilliant. And let's hope it, you know, that goes to 4,000 and then only expands uh, in the near future. And just on, uh, you know, sort of, I suppose, the, the state of play at the moment then, Dan, there's a, a lot of records being sort of broken along the way here. Things like I'm thinking right back to we hadn't won at Burnley, we hadn't beaten Newcastle. Unfortunately, I thought we were going to turn over the uh, Man United hoodoo as well, but that never happened. But, um, you know, that was the seventh match in a row in the Premier League that Saints have scored two or more goals in the top flight. I think it was 1984 was the best run before today. I've not seen the updated date but it must be well before that so that's a, a really good sort of positive sign that they're scoring lots of goals but it was also our fourth win in six home Premier League games Dan it took 14 games last season to win the same amount of games so again you know I know that it's only the first game fans coming back but you know touch wood we are starting to make St Mary's a bit of a fortress again yeah and that's exactly what I've written about for tomorrow uh, is you know the fans coming back and I thought there was a uh, quite a telling moment I don't know whether it would have picked up on TV or not but I know it's certainly been discussed on this podcast before where Southampton you know they recycle the ball around the defence quite a lot they play it sideways and perhaps 10 months to a year ago you know there would have been some sort of mumblings of discontent among some supporters that were just frustrated you know we should be going forward attack 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 and you know that was actually applauded in the first half because you know I think Romeo and Vestergaard played some nice passes around around the back and I think that the gap without fans has given everyone including me you know, everyone's sort of involved around the football club the the chance to really understand what Ralph is doing with the team and what the team are doing and what their game plan is. And I think Ralph is, you know, he's obviously a brilliant communicator. He's been able to to communicate that via his press conferences and the video Southampton put out. So I think it just made for a really, St. Mary's made for a really, really good place today. And I think long may that continue. And like you say, it's two goals in their last seven games. You know, I've I said at the top of the top of the podcast that perhaps there's no European charge. I mean, I had top four in mind for that one. I'd, I'd still <laughs> maybe like to see an addition in, in January just to strengthen the squad a little bit because I know Glenn made point to the bench and, you know, the bench did look strong today. Uh, I must say that, but you still wouldn't mind just another player maybe in January just to push the, the squad on for the rest of, rest of the season because if this is the season that, you know, if a team's going to break into that top six, you may as well say it, top four, because, you know, they're third at the moment then this is the year that, that you can capitalise on that. You know, Wolves aren't having a great season, are they? And they're normally there or thereabouts. So this is the year to do it for Southampton, I think. And they've got such a, you know, the momentum's on their side. Yes, they've got some difficult games coming up. You know, the Southampton shouldn't fear playing Arsenal at the moment, I don't think. I'm sure we'll touch on that a bit later on. Yeah, you know, we... Famous last words. But... <laughs> no, we will do. And uh, I mean, you're right. I was working out earlier and we will touch on the Arsenal game later. But yeah, if, if Liverpool and Spurs both beat each other on Wednesday night and we beat Arsenal, then we'll go top of the league again. So, you know, there is a chance, of course. So uh, we'll see what happens. But as you say, the uh, the title race is uh, well and truly on again, which is exciting. Um, Glenn, let's have a chat about Shea Adams. Shea Adams has scored four goals in Southampton's 12 league games this season as many as he scored in 30 Premier League appearances in 2019-20 and all eight of his goals in the division have come since June when of course the competition resumed post-lockdown um, you gave Shea Adams man of the match today in the uh, GDLC ratings um, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what was it about his overall performance because I, I would agree with you I mean I thought obviously Yannick was brilliant again and I'm going to chat to Steve about him in a minute but he stood out to me and it, it was almost apparent you know, how much he has developed in the last 12 months and I know we've spoken about him uh, a bit on this pod Glenn but what was it about his performance today that you enjoyed I think every, everything about every aspect of his game is improving 
all the you know all the time if you if you look at what he was like a year ago everything about him is is getting better he looks stronger his his running is better it's more intelligent he's now added goals to his game i think the period where he hasn't had danny ings as well that's actually helped him he had to be the main man for three or four weeks and he came through that with flying colours. He doesn't have to score hundreds of goals the way that the team is set up. But if he can, if he can sort of, I don't know how many did he get last year? Probably was it four? If he, if he can, if he can chip in with sort of over ten this season, and Danny Ings can get his sort of like usual amount, then that's job done. But what's what's impressed me is the amount of work he does off the ball, the amount of hold up play he does now, bringing other people into play. Because I just for the first six months. At Saints, I just didn't see that in him. It just looked like he wasn't. He actually looked like a player who had a bit of an attitude problem, like almost like he couldn't be bothered at times. But something's obviously clicked with him. Whether Ralph's got into him and dragged something out of him, or or whether he's just got it all worked out now. Whether it's just a confidence thing. But he's been absolutely excellent, really, all season and the last few weeks in particular. And and today, I, we, you know, we've touched on how poor Sheffield United were, but he can only play what. You know what's in front of him. Um, I, I thought Adams had an excellent game. And Steve, look, I mean, we could pick out all eleven, bar Alex McCarthy. Of course, his uh, tweet was hilarious afterwards that he enjoyed watching the game. But uh, I, I think, yeah, as I say, all ten outfield players and the, the subs that came on, as Glenn mentioned, did a, a really good job. But I just wanted to touch on uh, Virgil Van Vestergaard again, if that's all right, because um, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I saw some stats uh, from today's match, which uh, they almost sound like a Christmas song on steroids, to be honest with you, because it said uh, Yannick Vestergaard's uh, game by numbers versus Sheffield United, ninety-five touches, 78 passes, 11 jewels one, which was the most, 8 aerial jewels one, which was the most, 8 long balls 4 clearances, 3 ball recoveries 3 touches in the opposite box 2 shots, 2 interceptions, 1 tackle made, 1 take on completed, 0 fouls committed, 0 time dribble passed and 0 goals conceded, I always want to say, and uh, the the I was going to say a partridge in the pear tree, very seasonal, but uh, yeah, I mean just to, to reiterate, I mean, the other thing that I, I thought was interesting was when I think James Ward-Prowse must have been doing the toss and, and they obviously, the players were sort of almost getting ready for their huddle the camera was on him and he was clearly sort of talking to the players and almost getting them going before Ward-Prowse came back into the huddle so it's almost like the leadership skills he's starting to show you as well, so just again from an all-round performance, I thought he was superb yeah, I mean, defensively he wasn't tested a great a great deal other than that sort of 10-minute spell at the start of the second half. But he's proven to be very useful in the attacking sense, not just in terms of obviously being a massive target from set pieces, but also in open play with the ball at his feet. Um, the way that he passes um, through the lines, he's quite happy to take a little bit of a risk, kind of calculated risk with his passes in in that sense because he knows that there well a there's there's generally cover if it if it kind of goes a little bit tits up but b that because he's kind of being given given sort of carte blanche to do that he's not going to be um sort of on the receiving end of of any abuse certainly internally anyway if it go if it doesn't quite go right because he's he's doing what what he's being asked to do and yeah, the the leadership thing is interesting, like the communication side of things, because I mean that seemed to basically be the reason why Jack Stevens got back into the team yeah. last season, um, because he was the guy that was organised. Even if he didn't necessarily have his own game in order, he was able to get other people into the right positions, and he actually he actually read the game quite well. But from a kind of coach's perspective, as opposed to actually being the guy that still has to has to do the um, do the work himself as well. And um, Vestergaard seems to have kind of taken on the mantle of of being the communicator 
Um, because Bednarek does does still seem to be quite quiet, which I assume they're probably trying to work on. But I think you need you need everybody communicating back there. And I think where we have come unstuck has been communication breakdowns. I don't think there's been there's not been as many sort of out and out individual screw ups as there as there probably was certainly first half of last season. But the uh, the communication is is obviously getting better, and you, and you can see the results now in in actually putting clean sheets together um i mean this this was an absolute pipe dream a year ago <laughs> i know it's, it's interesting isn't it when you're talking now i'm kind of thinking about it but it's it's funny when you add up all the sort of percentage improvements across the team it's unsurprising to sort of see where the team is you know you think of Vestergaard's leadership and the way he's improved you think of Romeo being a lot more fast-paced on the ball you think of Shea's work rate at the top you know it's no surprise almost that uh, the team is kind of you know progressing up the league because unsurprisingly all the players are developing but uh, there we go um I'm not going to talk about loads and loads of uh, talking points in the game but Stuart Armstrong obviously made it uh, 2-0 um, interesting stat from today's game that Armstrong is now one of three players to score four or more Premier League goals from outside the box in 20 20 the other two Southampton players Danny Ings with five and Ward Prowse with four so there's an interesting stat for you Dan one positive I, I thought was um, good to see was obviously Nathan Redmond coming on he's been a, a little bit quiet this season of course he's had injuries and things like that but good for his confidence as Glenn said to come on make an impact and, and finish a really neat move to uh, make it 3-0 absolutely and I think that's the you know, Nathan Redmond that everyone wants to see you know we all know he's capable of being direct running running with the ball causing defenders all sorts of problems and from that season 2018-19 when Ralph came in and he went on a bit of a scoring run you know we all know he's he's not too bad in front of goal we just haven't seen enough of that this season of course you know over the last sort of 12 to 18 months he's had various injuries which I imagine have held him back and you know halted his progress I mean I don't know when the last time he would have felt 100% maybe on the pitch but I think I don't think many players ever go onto a pitch you know 100% uh, fitness wise I'm sure they've all got niggles here and there and everywhere but no it's what you want and you know Glenn made the point earlier about the bench and you know if you can bring on Nathan Redmond uh, you know against a, a tired a tired Sheffield United team you'd like to think that you know that's only going to work in Southampton's favour and it certainly did you know I made the point in the discussion on on the athletics website afterwards you know someone said oh would you now bring him into the starting 11 uh, I still wouldn't uh, personally, I'd leave him on the bench for Arsenal um, and then maybe look to bring him in uh, against City next week, depending on how the Arsenal game goes. But, you know, I'm sure people would like to see him in the starting eleven. but that's the, the first time he's really done it this season. So, you know, to drop either Armstrong or Walcott, yes, you know, they've played a lot of games recently, but, you know, I'm sure they, they wouldn't want to be rested, especially for Arsenal, because it's going to be a winnable away game. Well, and I'm Theo, sure Walcott, Theo's Walcott want to exactly there, is yeah. going to want to play there, you know, and see some point. of his, yeah, exactly. You know, prove a point, see some old teammates and try and make himself a bit of a nuisance again, because I thought he was very good today as well. I mean, to a man, I think, you know, Southampton were just, they were calm, clinical, composed, just up. You could name, you could pick any player uh, and, you know, say they deserve man of the match. But I guess, you know, Adams probably would shade it because it, you know, he scored the goal and was just so involved in, in everything they do up front. And I think on him, if I could just add, I know you spoke about him earlier, but I think Southampton are also playing to his strengths. Shane Long, is very much a sort of pump it up to him and he'll flick it on, whereas Shea Adams can't play that game. You can pass the ball to his feet, he'll hold it up and then like pass it on to someone else who's making a run beyond him. And, you know, he's excellent at that. And the fact he's scoring goals is just the icing on top. You know, I think that's four goals this season, already as many as he scored last season. So, yeah, if he can get double figures, 
which I'm sure he will. It's it's only going to be good for his confidence and the club. Indeed. Well, all in all, that's uh, Saints' 16th win in 30 Premier League games in 2020, which is uh, a good hit rate. Uh, as uh, the guys have said, another fantastic effort from 1-14 to 14 and a further feather in Ralph's cap, of course. OK, it's time now for our latest Red and White Insight feature, taking a look at life inside our club. Saints podcast, Red and White Insight. Okay, it's time for our latest Red and White Insight feature now, as we take a monthly look at life inside our club through the eyes of the people who work there. After what's been a fairly surreal 2020, it felt like there was only one way to end the feature for this year, by speaking to Greg Baker, the head of the Saints Foundation, who put so much care and effort into continuing to support those in Southampton who need it most. Greg, as always, a pleasure to catch up. How are you keeping in general? Yeah, good, thanks, Ben. How are you? Yeah, I think it's, as I say, it's been a surreal 2020, and we'll get onto some of the stuff uh, the Foundation have been doing this year. But, uh, yeah, from a, a personal point of view, I think we're all looking forward to seeing the back of this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's been something that we probably just never imagined, isn't it, in terms of, you know, the turn of last year, all optimistic about what 2020 was going to bring. And then, yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's been a challenge, but we've hopefully stood up to that challenge so um yeah in lots of ways it's been a positive for us yeah it feels like a, a long time ago that we did that tsp 100 live on the uh, 10th of january uh, earlier this year and i don't think any of us as you say could have foreseen what would uh, happen across the world thereafter how would you sum up 2020 greg from the uh, saints foundation's point of view um i mean as i say it's been, it's been a huge challenge i think for everyone in the team right through from our delivery staff through to our fundraising staff through to our you know coaching staff it's been a real challenge but actually you know the overriding feeling that I've got around what we've managed to achieve as a collective is is, is pride really our part of the business um has been needed in the community more than ever in terms of you know it's been really really front of mind of people the community individuals older people young people all need support at this moment in time so actually I think what we've managed to do in terms of evolving and adapting our approach it certainly fills me with pride and, 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 you know, I think you've seen some of the stats today just mm. in terms of what we've managed to do, for example, in the last lockdown period, just that, that month that we've, uh, we've just finished. But the very first couple of weeks were a real challenge. I think the world was in a sort of a big state of flux thinking, well, how are we going to get through this massive mammoth challenge? And actually quite quickly, the team together was able to come up with, with a number of concepts about continuing to support those people that we've always supported albeit in different ways so i think we've, we've spoken before about you know doing our prescription delivery service for a few months in the first period of lockdown mm. um you know we've delivered just over 2,000 prescriptions to various people in need across the community obviously we work with fair share around food deliveries um as well as i think it's really important to stress a lot of the work that we always did continued just in 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 different ways so the guys that worked in schools they might not have been able to be in schools but actually they were continuing to support young people through whether that was zoom calls um leadership programs etc etc similarly for our adults program our older people program obviously you know it's not the greatest time to get 25 older people in a room together doing chair-based exercises which might normally do but actually you know the innovation that the team you know the health team from our, our side showed in terms of bringing together Zoom calls, deliveries of exercise books, we've got a radio show now that goes out on Voice FM. Hmm. And actually, the reality is that some of these things will continue post-coronavirus, hopefully being a distant memory. There's been some really good learnings for us that actually there are a number of other mediums that we can do this 
for and we can support people to keep healthy in their own homes, for example. So I think, yeah, overriding has been a real challenge. And I think the biggest thing for me is the is the pride that I've got in the team, the support that we've had from the club, which has been exemplary as always. Um, and, um, you know, what we've managed to achieve, not just as a foundation, but also as a city as well. Because I think mm. that, you know, colleagues at the City Council and others, Southampton have been a really, really strong, you know, homogenous support for individuals, I think. Um, so just pride, but, you know, undoubtedly challenge um, and some really, really tough moments within it. So that, that would be my synopsis, I guess. Yeah. As you say, we last spoke in, in May when obviously you gave some great updates on the work uh, the team had been doing then. And uh, you mentioned the, the stats there, Greg, which, uh, yeah, you know, keen to share some of them. This is for the second lockdown period. But some of the, the stats to give you guys out there a bit of a view on the, just how much uh, effort uh, the Saints Foundation have been putting into our community. 208 mentoring sessions with 90 secondary school pupils, 132 English maths and PSHE interventions in primary schools, 13 online kick sessions with 59 young people, 8,377 minutes of contact with older adults across the city, which I think is fantastic, and 53 older adults engaged in 15 online fitness classes as well. So some fabulous stuff there. That's just for the second lockdown period, which is obviously the most recent one. Um, Greg, I know a lot of businesses uh, have, have sort of used the pandemic almost to sort of help them progress. You know, it's kind of sped up uh, and driven a lot of change and learnings and the way that they sort of adapt and adopt and things like that. Would you say that's been the same with the foundation as well? Yeah, I think so. The, the biggest thing for us is consistency of support for individuals. And actually, ultimately, that doesn't necessarily matter how you provide that support. We were quite, hopefully, quite quick and quite agile um, in our desire to sort of shift up what we did, partially because of the restrictions and not yeah. being able to do certain things, but also just in terms of our team, I guess, they challenge themselves and we challenge them to be innovative and look really about how we adapt our delivery. And And I think, as I said in the answer to the last question really is actually a lot of what we do will continue. So I don't see, for example, the radio show that we now do on voice FM finishing, you know, 10 minutes of exercises for older people run by our staff, zoom sessions for older people in the, in their own home. You know, this pandemic is not going to be over. Even if, you know, ultimately the vaccine, which there's been some great news this week, obviously Mm. about the vaccine, but ultimately there is still going to be fear within the community, within older people in particular. And actually, so certainly in the short term, people might not want to leave their houses so actually how do we continue to support them online virtually through phone calls and then probably into the longer term as well i mean the reality is our business will evolve they have all businesses will evolve um and um, yeah certainly there will be lots of learnings coming out the back of it i mean i'll be honest you know i've never used zoom or, or teams or anything before the first lockdown came in and i think we're all pretty much now whizzes on it as well yeah. and that's probably plays into the hands of the community as well so yeah i think there's been lots of time for reflection about what we do do what we don't do how we evolve things how even some of our fundraising can be more digital um, as opposed to necessarily event-based um so i think you know let's be completely honest it's been a really challenging time for people and certainly you know what i'm about to say is not to suggest that we're really pleased that it happened because obviously mm-hmm. we're not but there is some positives that have come out out of what we've been going through and i think that you know hopefully all businesses will have some learnings where they're able to take some practice forward and ultimately make themselves better in the longer term. Yeah. I also think probably the biggest thing that I will take out of the back of this is a renewed sense of community spirit mm. um, within wider population. Actually, people back in you know March, April time really started to think about their community, their neighbour, looking after people. And actually, I think that you know if there's one thing that we can take out the back as a society out of the pandemic, it's that that mm. we actually do want to care about people. We want to support each other. 
we want to be friendly, we want to respect the NHS, etc., etc. And ultimately, that to me feels like that could be the biggest positive coming out of something that's been so you know so challenging for people. You're well known as a, a strong leader and a you know really inspirational leader there within the foundation, Greg. Um, you mentioned technology there; that's obviously one facet. But how have you personally developed this year, and/or you know what have you learned about yourself or, or your leadership style that you maybe didn't know when you were entering 2020? Well, that's a tough one. First and foremost, very nice of you to say that. I think that it's one of those ones that uh, always feels like other people should be saying that about yourself rather than you talking about it. But overall we've seen some real fantastic leadership within our group and so you know hopefully i've developed but also certainly within the team in terms of them taking on their parts of the business whether that's through the health projects or the involvement projects or empowerment projects or whether that's around fundraising or marketing actually i think we've got a really good leadership team and i don't necessarily mean that just in terms of people with sort of managers in their title actually Mm. we've got leaders right across our business so for me personally, I think I found it really challenging. I'll be completely honest. Yeah, I think we've all had all had struggles in that time in terms of, you know, probably getting up, working, sleeping, eating in the same place. But ultimately, mm. we're living in, in quite a strange world at the moment. So I think certainly a togetherness has been really good within our business. And, and I'd like to think that I've played a, you know, a pretty significant role in that in terms of keeping people together, pointing in the, in the right direction. I think that we're very, very fortunate that we've got a staff team who absolutely are in it, in it all for the right reasons in terms of they want to support the community. And ultimately, if there's ever a moment in time when people that want to support the community and want to help people to develop, mm-hmm. it's in this period. We've never had a time in this country where actually more people are in challenging situations, whether that's older people who are you know, isolating, yeah. shielding, uh, and need some support to keep themselves safe and healthy, whether that's young people who job prospects might have been um, might have been hit a little bit. Uh, and ultimately, that's when people have come to the fore. So I think that I'd like to think that I, I have developed, and, and I think that you always want to develop across that year, but actually I'd point as much to the people within the team who have really you know, taken that um, innovation um, and their approach and their hard work and dedication. And ultimately, you know, as I said, getting up and working and in, in the same same place day in, day out is really tough. And actually, I am really have real pride in the team for being able to do that. You know, the self-starting that we've had of people being able to make those phone calls to older adults, for example. But also, let I'll say this, that ultimately a lot of our people are still in the same locations that they've always been you know our schools work apart from in the period when the schools were shut hasn't stopped and as we talk today you know our guys will have been in schools today working as hard as ever engaging younger people um, in schools who might find themselves in ever increasing challenging situations so actually you know for them actually i feel that those guys deserve as much credit as anyone probably more so because they've just had to crack on in a really challenging situation where ultimately you know i'm I'm kind of in the safety of my, my house and ultimately those, you know, those guys and girls are in out and about in schools, out and about working with people day in, day out. So to cut a long story short, I guess we've got leaders within our business and that's why I think that we thrive within within our world and, and, and why we've hopefully done such a good job is that actually it's not just me trying to drive um, innovation and adaption for our programs, but it's come from right across the team. Yeah. And you mentioned the team there, Greg. Um, just to finish on 2020, I know the foundation don't undertake their varied and committed work just to win awards, but obviously you've been recognised a, a fair bit as a team over the last few years, and you were recently confirmed as the gold medal winner in the best foundation category at the Corporate Engagement Awards for 2020. So, again, in terms of the whole team, that must have been a, a really nice sort of recognition to get at the end of you know what's been a tough year. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you, you summed it up there. We don't do what we do to try and win awards, but ultimately if you win awards off the back of the stuff that you, you really enjoy doing and the, the things that your team thrives on, then, then all the better. So, yeah, really, really proud. We've made an effort to um, sort of put ourselves forward for a few of these things this year. And unfortunately, we've had some really good success. Hmm. Maybe there might be some more to come this year. We've got one more that we're in the final for later this month. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, certainly for the team, for the trustees, for the club as well, to look at us and say, well, actually, yeah, there's some external verification about what we're doing is really, really important. Um, and yeah, it's an award on behalf of the whole team who are working day in, day out. And I think we, yeah, we always need to make sure that that covers off all of our parts of our business. You know, there are people that make sure that it runs well behind the scenes as well as those people that are working out in schools and community centres, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, really, really proud. Um, as I say, it, it's definitely not the reason why we do it. But if you get uh, recognition above and beyond your day job, you know, that recognition is really, really important when we're talking about ourselves externally, when we're looking for funding, when we're looking for sponsorship, when we're looking for fundraising, for example, actually being able to talk about external verification of what hopefully you've always known that you're pretty good at um, is, 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 you know, is really powerful. So thank you for mentioning it. And yeah, we're, we're really proud. Certainly, I know the trustees and the staff team are really proud too. Brilliant. Um, look, before we get on to talking about the foundation for 2021, um, hopefully Jordan won't tell me off for chucking a football question in here, Greg. But at time of recording, um, Saints have obviously just beaten Brighton. They're playing Sheffield United at the weekend, currently fifth in the Premier League. Um, you're as much of a Saints fan as all of us, which uh, I know makes your job even more enjoyable. The club must be, uh, you know, must be a really good atmosphere around the club at the moment and uh, a fun place to work again. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that ultimately the football is the lifeblood of what we do and as you say me being a lifelong fan as well I think makes it extra relevant as well there's a real shame that we're not all around in the office at the moment ultimately mm. we're all working from home so you don't get that collective spirit that maybe those wins do provide you when you're you know you're in the office over a cup of coffee for example after a win but yeah I mean let's be completely honest we're all in it together um, and um, to see the team winning and playing so well and the positivity that's running through the players and through Ralph is fantastic and you can only want to replicate what the guys are doing on the pitch and everything else that the club is doing as well. So mm. it certainly helps, you know, with our, our group. They absolutely buy into the club wanting to do well and wanting to win football matches, which, you know, makes our job a little bit easier. Um, it's of engagement with people on the streets and, and ultimately, as I say, around our fundraising as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a great thing and, and long may it continue. And, and, and obviously they're doing a, a cracking job out on the pitch at the moment. Well, let's finish up with a, a couple of questions looking ahead to 2021 then. Um, you mentioned uh, a few of the initiatives, you know, will be long term, etc. Um, do you see any sort of new um, activities coming up for next year? Or do you think there's any important projects that you're expecting to, to maybe roll out a bit further than you have done this year? So, uh, who knows, to a certain extent, you know, we're still living in an uncertain world. So ultimately, exactly what we're going to be able to do in January, February, let alone next summer is, is unknown. There's a couple of new programmes coming on board, hopefully. I won't talk too much about them because we haven't quite signed the contracts yet, but some work that will hopefully um, increase our um, activity, but mm-hmm. also our success um, and our effectiveness in the city, working with particular groups of, of people. Um, so no, no major, major changes. I mean, I think that we will learn, as I say, lots of things from what we've done this year um, in terms of supporting people. And some of that stuff is not only for the coronavirus period, but ultimately will continue in the, into the longer term. But yeah, there's a few programmes um, that we will be running going forward. Um, but ultimately, we're really just looking forward to getting back to normality. Although, as I said before, 
the reality is that normality for, for some has been you know, throughout in terms of the guys and girls that have been in schools. Actually, you know, what goes today, but bar the fact that they're kind of having to practice social distancing within schools, for example, is what they were doing a year ago. So, mm. you know, I'm always really careful not to ignore the fact that some people are still grafting away day in, day out in those places. But I think, you know, ultimately, if you run any business, uh, you want your business to be more successful. And I say business with a small b, I guess, in terms of our charity, but we have to run it as a business. We have to make it commercially viable and to make sure that, you know, fundraising is coming in and, and ultimately we don't spend too much. Mm. So w- what do we want it to be? We want it to be bigger. We want it to be better. We want it to be more successful. And ultimately, the reason why our charity exists is to support people in Southampton to make them what we say um, more involved, healthier and empowered members of the community that ultimately will help them to fulfil their potential. So, mm. you know, if, if there's one thing that we commit to doing, it, w- it will be that. And, and through a myriad of programmes and really trying to make sure that the programmes that we do run are more effective and the data that we've got, um, our insight manager is preparing data day in, day out, which is being used to to really to look at the effectiveness of our programmes, how we get better, how we evolve and adapt our approach so ultimately, it will be more of that as well, because I don't necessarily see that the only way that you can improve your service is by doing more or turning over more money. It's mm. ultimately about how you have the effectiveness on the ground. You know, we're not in a position at the moment where we're going to suddenly start to triple our turnover. But ultimately, we will get better next year. We will be more effective. That is absolutely our commitment. Just to pick up on something you said there, I know the foundation is obviously very proactive in the way it works, but obviously there's a, a large element when you're trying to put a strategy and a plan together quarter on quarter, year on year, that is clearly going to be reactive, Greg, because you, as you say, you don't know what's around the corner. Does that make it more exciting and more enjoyable or does is that make it a little bit more stressful that you can't plan too far ahead sometimes? I think probably a bit of both. I mean, I think the reality is we've tried to adapt and evolve to the situation that's going on at the moment and we produced our COVID-19 response strategy back in August, September, which we published in October this year. And the reality is that what you wrote one day changes the following day because, you know, that was based on us not going back into lockdown. It was based on a sliding scale getting back to some semblance of normality. And actually the reality has been over the last few months has been that we've gone from, you know, fair normality back to lockdown, back to some semblance of normality, back to lockdown again. So, I think it makes it more challenging. I wouldn't say it makes it more exciting, but it certainly keeps you on your toes and tests you. I think, I guess, again, then it's the same as any business up and down the country. Every mm. business has had to evolve its approach and for it to be able to continue to both thrive on its own merits, but also to do the job that it's set up to do. And our job is to support people. So ultimately, you know, how we've managed to evolve our business is by being innovative about how we reach those people even if they're in their own homes. So mm. I think that, writing that strategy and i'll be completely honest in terms of much of that work is done outside of me in terms of how we develop our individual project strategies that's been a real challenge for individuals but i think again they're not going to mention individuals within the team but ultimately the guys have been exceptional they are professionals in their field about you know whether that's within the health sector whether that's within schools and education whether that's quality and diversity and actually, they, they've managed to adapt their businesses. So, And we will continue to do that. And let's hope for everyone's sake that what the news of the um, vaccines this week is going to get us back to normality pretty soon. But if it doesn't, then, you know, ultimately, we will, we will roll with the punches and ultimately we'll try and make sure that our business remains relevant in whatever situation we are. So I think where probably the biggest challenges have been is around fundraising strategy. Yep. And yeah, we live on big events and things like fundraising dinners and Matt Letizia's Big Saints quiz and various bits and, and bike rides. We were doing the European bike ride last year. So that's been a challenge 
because those aren't easily replicable. You can't host a 450-person dinner um, without having a 450-person room that's available to do so in, in a safe environment. So that's probably been as big a challenge as anything in reality and probably will remain for a few months to come. Yeah. Just lastly on the foundation then, Greg, I know you're uh, trying to raise £10,000 in November and December and uh, I think when I looked the other day you were near on £6,000, so you're well on your way to that, which is great. But how and and sort of where can listeners donate to and or support the Saints Foundation if they'd like to, either in December or more importantly, I suppose, beyond that and going forward as well? So, I mean, there's a number of ways that people can support us. Um, ultimately, the, probably the easiest way at the moment is there's a, there's a raffle out around a phone call with Ralph Hassanutel, as well as some experiences within Southampton of a membership with the gym group, some items from Harbour Hotel, Enjoy, Hilton um, at the Aegeus Bowl, Ottoman Kitchen and QT. So there's an opportunity there on Wishio, which is a, uh, a raffle platform for people to go along and enter that draw. Um, anything from £5 upwards, um, which will all contribute towards that £10,000 target. But also, you know, there is a number of ways to donate as well. So that's through our Just Giving page if people wanted to. We're still running our Super Draw, even though match days, you know, aren't open to the public at the moment. We're still running Super Draw, mm-hmm. uh, which is a subscription-based model, eBay site, all kinds of ways. There are continuing lots of opportunities. And hopefully, let's hope that our fundraising events return to normality soon. And if we can, we will be running a dinner next year. If we can, we'll be doing a bike challenge We'll be doing the European Bike Challenge. We'll be doing quizzes. We'll be doing play on the pitch, et cetera, et cetera, if possible. So ultimately, there are a number of ways, both for those people that you know, would prefer to do it actively in terms of getting involved in a challenge. There will be some opportunities around the ABP Half Marathon, for sure, whether that happens in person or whether that happens more as a remote challenge. So in whatever way people want to support us, whether that's through you know, entering a prize draw, whether that's through giving a regular donation, um, whether that's running a marathon for us, there are a number of ways to do it and people have gone above and beyond and we've been really grateful for the support we've had from individuals yeah, across the course of not just the pandemic period, but yeah, long into the past as well. Well, it's always a great cause. As Greg says, every pound really does help. So please do donate to the Saints Foundation if you can. Um, SouthamptonFC.com slash Saints hyphen foundation uh, for more details alongside everything that Greg's just mentioned there. Um, Greg, look, on behalf of all of us who uh, love Southampton, thanks to you and your team for their wonderful care and support to our city this year. Have a great Christmas. All the best for 2021, obviously. And uh, most importantly, thank you very much for catching up with us on this uh, Red and White Insight. And thank you very much as well, not just for tonight's call, but obviously for your never-ending support, Ben, and to all the listeners as well. You know, just in terms of the uh, the support that we get from the fans, the, uh, yourself in particular, has been just exemplary, and we're massively grateful for everything you've done and continue to do for us. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast. Going to the heart of all things Saints FC. As I mentioned in the introduction, Saints have two tricky-looking games this coming week. Firstly, travelling to the Emirates to face Arsenal on Wednesday before Man City rock up to St Mary's on Saturday. Dan, let's start with Arsenal. What have you made of them this season then? Because, unless I'm mistaken, I'm sure I saw a report over the weekend which seemed to imply ahead of the Burnley game that uh, Mikel Arteta had three games to save his job, quote, which uh, seems crazy when you think, really, he's uh, only been in charge for a year or so. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I wasn't uh, aware of that report, but I have seen, you know, other sort of outlets, you know, questioning whether he's the right man going forward. But Arsenal's biggest problem is they just, you know, they can't score goals. It's almost like... You know, Aubameyang has basically followed Ozil with signing a, a big new deal and then mm. has just gone, gone off the boil, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 
it's how would you make that work? They're, you know, Arsenal have got good players up front, but Arteta just hasn't found a way to make it work. And I think crossing, you know, that seems to be his big thing at the moment. Let's just get the ball into the box as many times as possible. Which You'd you know, be surprised they did he's not in... playing Cedric more then. <laughs> for his phenomenal crosses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think in the in their last game, and I must admit it, I my mind's gone as to who it was, but it reminded me of when Man United played Fulham under David oh, the, Moyes. The, the David Moyes game, yeah. And they nine, crossed the ball like Yeah, something ridiculous, but like like maybe eighty four, ninety odd crosses. <laughs> and that's just a team that's run out of ideas. Yeah. Um, so you know, Arsenal are what, fourteenth at the moment as as we record this, but they definitely deserve to be fourteenth. Yeah, I mean, just a very underwhelming. But when you look at their players beyond kind of Obama Yang, who, as we've said, isn't doing that great anyway. I mean, there's not many standout players there anyway that are going to make it much better. And Arteta got the job because he's come from Pep Guardiola's, you know, graduating school. Let's be honest about it. To be fair, he did, he did well to begin with. They won the yes, FA yeah. Cup. And the community yeah, showed. Yeah. Having got, yeah. got past, got past the, big, the, the other big clubs to do so. so. No, exactly. And I mean, just on Arteta, you know, I don't, I'm not saying he's a bad manager. You know, he's just inexperienced and you know, this is going to be a brilliant learning curve for him, I'm sure. But it's a lot to ask someone that's not been through this to, you know, work out what's going wrong and fix it and then try and salvage a season where you're looking at Europa League at best. Uh, again, which isn't going to be great for Arsenal when they want to buy new players next summer. Mm. Steve, as uh, Dan's kind of uh, mentioned there, it'll um, obviously be important for us to keep the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette quiet if we want to win the game. But um, one of their players, um, young players, which I know you follow England a lot, you're probably excited about as well, Bakayo Saka. Um, yeah, someone I think really looks like a, a brilliant talent. Yeah, he's, he does look very promising. be interesting to see where he ends up actually playing position-wise. Um, for the majority of his career, because he's he seems to have kind of been shunted from came into the side as a as a sort of bright uh, winger, filled a gap at left back for Arsenal when I think they had basically all their other left backs out injured, and all of a sudden is now kind of seen as basically Ben Chilwell's uh, backup um, at left back, which is fairly extraordinary given that a um, he's what 19 years old, and b he's playing in a team that it's not. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure that's that's necessarily a good good career move for him to um, to be playing left back in this Arsenal team at the moment. Um, they look they look. It's they're, they're such an odd team. I mean, as as Dan said, the, the fact they just don't score goals all of a sudden. They've they've got they've got themselves into a situation where they'd kind of worked out a way of not being quite so calamitous at the back as they had been for I mean the best part of a decade really. And they got that sorted, and they kind they kind of had like that spell basically after they beat us in the restart period. Because don't forget that game came after they got done at Brighton. Yeah, that's right. And they the were absolutely score right dread- at the end. Yep. Yeah, they were absolutely dreadful in that game. And everyone was saying, "Well, Arsenal just look an absolute shambles." They went and beat us, and then went on a run for the rest for the rest of the, that restart period. Won the FA Cup. And everything kind of looked really bright for them, and you kind of think, well, okay, maybe maybe this is something something special they've got going on here. And yet they've they've just not got not got going this season. It's been it's been really strange. Just the lack of the lack of cohesion up front. They don't really know whether to play Aubameyang through the middle, where he's likely to obviously get on the end of more things into the box and therefore get more goals. But 
instinctively, the balance of the team looks better when he plays out wide. So I don't really know where they're going to end up there. I think, to be honest, they'll they'll probably stumble on something by more by luck than judgment. Glenn, I always feel like now I'm coming to you every week with uh, stats on how we've done, uh, how well we've done at ground before. You don't care, <laughs> and then you just answer the question anyway. So that's what I'm going to do yeah, again yeah. because, uh, as everyone will know, listening to this, um, we've an incredibly poor Premier League record at the Emirates: six draws and 15 defeats in 21 visits. There, we've never won at the Emirates or Highbury in the Premier League. We have, however, won our last two League Cup matches at the uh, same stadium. Given all that and everything we've discussed before and the way we're playing at the moment, famous last words, but do you think we're ever going to have a better chance of going there and getting three points? No. We've got to go there with no fear and no inferiority complex. I don't think we've really got anything to lose there. Um, Let's let's just go for it. There'll be be 2,000 of their fans in the ground. Hopefully it's the idiots from Arsenal fan TV who were in there who will turn on the team as soon as um, you know the first stray pass happens um, they're, they're still a huge club they've got huge resources they've got 70 80 million pound footballers um, so it's it, and Cedric <laughs> and Callum Chambers I would add to what Steve said about them I, I think it's very very funny how bad they are um, I, I think it's, it's hilarious how you can be paying that much money out in wages and, and be that bad they, they just don't seem to have a clue about how to combine defensive solidity with having some sort of attacking threat they're not very good we should have won there last year yeah, we, we, got, have, yeah. we got done with the last minute equaliser and interestingly I mean talking about Cedric he had the worst game I've ever seen a fullback have in, his, in, in my entire life in that game and they signed him off the back of it you know I think Tierney got in about 40 crosses from his side just didn't get close to him the entire game and didn't Cedric then not play the simple pass yeah, that's right. yeah. across the goal for us to tap in to, to make Femi. it 3-1 and then the cross came yeah. in in the last in the 96th minute from his side that McCarthy flapped out yep so uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. there's mean, a pattern he, forming it's, it's unbelievable and um, <laughs> but I mean he's been kept out the side by Bellerin at the moment and he, he's been awful he got exposed in that Tottenham game just wandering up the pitch and leaving leaving Son Heung-min on his own which is never a good idea <laughs> as we found out to our cost <laughs> we did it four <laughs> so, times <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, he's going to get it a couple of times. Yeah, but but yeah, they just you know players like David Luiz and Willian. It's it's the worst Arsenal squad that I can remember since pre Arsene Wenger. Really, they they just don't have the quality of players. Um, you know, you got you got players like Lacazette and Ceballos and people like that. They're okay, but they're not top four challenging to win the league type of players which is the level that Arsenal really should be at but I think, I think Ceballos is good but the problem is that he's he's kind of having to cover cover for everybody because yeah. everybody else around him is a load of garbage and he's not a regular start though either Steve I mean I'm looking at uh, them they're playing Burnley while we're recording he's not, he's on the bench you know, he's not playing well, he's, resting, um, for the, resting for the big game <laughs> it was party playing because I mean he's he's sort of like he's, not even he's, in the squad. he's injured again yeah yeah, uh, yeah he, he came back came back Having been out for three weeks, played, started in the game at Spurs, went off, basically walked off injured, and nobody no, nobody noticed for for about thirty seconds while Spurs went down the other end and scored. And yeah, he's now out injured for the next three or four weeks. Yeah, I mean, I mean they got players like you know Granite Xhaka in midfield. You know, he's 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 all right, but he's 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 nothing special. So I, I I don't think we should go into that game with any any inferiority complex at all. Um, but as I was saying, we play these play the big clubs. If we get beat, it's kind of expected. Yeah, but exactly. I, I do think we can we can go there and have a real good go at um, getting something out of the game. Yeah, and Dan, that leads me on nicely because I was going to ask you. Um, yeah, Ralph often talks, doesn't he, about 
games against the the big six in inverted commas being like Champions League matches for Saints you know we're getting anything out of them is a a bonus and clearly these two games won't make or break our season against Arsenal Man City but do you think they're free hits even more so now because the fact A we've had a good start to the season and uh, obviously we've picked up six points from Brighton and Sheffield United we can almost as Glenn says go and have a go at both of them and uh, not really have too much fear I wouldn't necessarily say they're they're free hits simply because you know if Southampton do have ambitions to finish inside the top six then you'd want to you know try and get as many points from these two games as possible um I think you're definitely right on what Ralph thinks about these games kind of being like Champions League and you know if they win brilliant and if they lose no one expected us to to win anyway but just given how uh, you know Arsenal and Man City are playing at the moment I mean I don't know if, the, if you guys watched the Manchester derby but I mean that was just, God, that was awful like, <laughs> I nearly fell asleep um, you know after about five minutes it was just you know dreadful both teams just look I don't know just just lost at the moment so this is the the season I think you know any other season I think yeah you can say they are free hits but Arsenal are 14th 15th it's you know if you're going to go there and win this is the time to do it and I actually think if Southampton don't come away with something from the Emirates, then I'd actually be, I'm, I would personally be a bit, bit, bit disappointed with that because, you know, as Glenn said, you're not going to get a better chance to, to go there and take something. And if they can win uh, at the Emirates and, you know, I, I, I would actually back them to win that again, sends out another message that we are here and we are looking at these top six places and take us seriously. Southampton now for me, I expect them to beat the likes of Sheffield United. I expect, you know, they should have beaten Crystal Palace. They're the teams that you judge Southampton on. And given how poor Arsenal are this season, I will judge that in the same way. Yes, Arsenal have brilliant individual players, but so does Southampton. You know, Danny Ings, he might not have the pace of Aubameyang, but is just as good a finisher as Aubameyang. So Southampton have the players as well. So, no, I think it'll be a good game. And I think uh, Southampton will go there and win. Well, last week ahead of the game with Sheffield United, I asked Ralph how often he reviews and or assesses the team's targets for the season, especially given the start we've made. Here's what he had to say. I have in generally tried not to speak too often about the position at the end of the season at the table because it's, uh, yeah... It's a little bit difficult. It's too far away. You cannot you cannot uh, focus on on a position at the end of the table. You must more focus on things you can change every day. This is a way of of setting targets that I always liked to do, and I was always driving well with this. Uh, and so it's it's the message from my side is that I, I never want to see someone leaning back and being happy about uh, being in what position ever. When you are second. You can also not be happy because you want to be the best team. Right? Yeah. So climb as high as possible, win as much games as possible, play as good as possible, invest as much as possible, and then you get automatically what is deserved. I think in the last game, we had uh, yeah, a penalty to win the game in the end of this, uh, the game. Yeah, what was uh, a tough decision, a close decision, but maybe we deserved to win because we invested so much in this game and we, we had a little bit better chances, I think, and, and invested massive, especially against the ball. And sometimes then you deserve more than you maybe uh, yeah, think you get. Okay, let's have a quick look at Man City then, Steve. Um, as we mentioned um, before, Ralph was talking there, not really got going so far this season. Um, I think it's fair to say that do you can you sort of put your finger on why there's there's probably a few things there i think city is suffering from the fact that they've got so much money available to them and as a result it becomes it actually recruiting players to fit the system actually becomes really really difficult because 
Guardiola is obviously looking for a certain type of player. There aren't that many players that would that will naturally fit that system. Obviously, you can coach players to to fit into it, but you you need players who have got certain attributes who are going to who are going to be able to do it. And they're in they're in kind of win now mentality. Whereas a club like Saints, for example, we can we can go out and and sign someone who's like Diallo as a as a and Salisu as prime examples, where. Yeah, sure. We 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 know that they've got they've got the ability and the potential, but we've also got the time in which to kind of nurture that and mould them in in the way that we want. And there's no rush to to throw them into the first team immediately. I do wonder whether Pep's contract situation had been a bit of a bit of a distraction. Players not really quite sure whether whether he's going to be sticking around. I mean, I know he signed a new two year deal, but Pellegrini signed a signed a new new deal before um leaving about four months later so i'm i'm not not sure there's an awful lot in in that i kind of wonder whether guardiola guardiola's sort of intensive message is is just not getting through anymore managers do have their sort of natural life um lifespan in at clubs and with with groups of players you look at well pochettino I mean, at spurs for example yeah definitely um i mean you look at i mean even Klopp when he was at dortmund the, their last season they were in absolute shambles and yeah, it was these things. These things happen. And I do wonder whether City are coming to coming to that sort of situation now. But you kind of think, well, who who are they going to get in? Who is who is kind of box office enough, and who is going to play the style that people have kind of become accustomed to watching with um, with this City team? Because I mean, they were they're a shadow of themselves at the moment this season. They've had I mean they've they've flickered a couple of times in games, but defensively they they look weak. I mean, they bought Ruben Diaz for big money, and he's he's actually looked okay. Um, Ake's looked all right on on a, on a handful of occasions, but we we said this in the summer that he's playing for a playing for a team that's been conceded 60, 60 goals a season. You're not necessarily improving improving matters by by signing a player like that, and their recruitment has always seems to have been constantly buying backup players, and if you are continually buying kind of squad filler. Then eventually your first team becomes squad filler because everybody kind of drops down to the same level. And I mean, Saints had Saints had that the year we went down in what 2004-5. We'd we'd accumulated a squad where you had squad numbers squad number 40 um, for your first team captain in Nigel Quasi. And it it was just it was an amount it was kind of the coming together of three or four managers not buying players that were better than we already had and I think City are, City are in that mould at the moment I think Liverpool are actually in, kind of in that mould at the moment but they're still good enough to to muddle through City City at the moment are not good enough to um, to muddle through in, in that um, in that circumstance and I think to be honest I, th- I actually think they'll be they'll be further off the pace this season than they were last Obviously they're still going to be a tough test Glenn we know that how much confidence do you think we can take from the win we picked up in July where obviously I know they had a lot of chances but you know we fought and it was a a good psychological boost to beat them again or do you think we need to sort of almost be wary of a side who are going to come down here and think we want to get revenge for that game or do you think a bit of both? Um, I don't think they'll be coming down looking for revenge for that game in particular I mean they've got bigger fish to fry than uh, than Saints with um you know, with the with the uh, the genuinely big clubs, not just us, we're having a go at it for five minutes. But um, they, um, I think la- that game against them last year was important because I think when we spoke about it before the game, we all expected us to go with the five at the back and then four midfielders and just 
defend the crap out of it and, and hope to nick something. And, and whilst the game did kind of pan out that we got pinned back and we had one shot and scored and, and, and that was the way, you know, and that was the way we won the game. Ralph went with his, you know, the four, two, two, two formation. And, you know, we, we, we took them on. We didn't, we didn't seem to worry too much. We weren't totally intimidated by what they were going to do. We tried to play our own game and, and it worked. So, I mean, I'd be majorly surprised if he switched to five at the back for this game. You know, we, we've got a way of playing which which suits us, and you know we're winning games. So why should we why should we change it for for anyone? The thing I've noticed about Manchester City this year is that they, especially the the dreadful derby they had against United, they they seem to be playing with a little bit of fear themselves. Two defensive midfielders, proper defensive midfielders, Fernandinho and Rodri playing at the same time, and that 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 was just. Amazing to me. When you think about City, the last four years they've had players like David Silva, Bernardo Silva, and they've all been in the all been in the team at the same time. They've basically had five forwards and De Bruyne playing as a deep midfielder, and it, it's just ridiculous how how they did that. And he he seems to have gone away from that now, and seems to have gone into this mode where you know well, I'm gonna I'm going to protect my back four because maybe they're not they're not the best, but it it does seem to to cut out what they do so well. Up front. Also, Aguero not being fit is is massive because whatever anyone says, well, in my opinion, Gabriel Jesus is not not as good. He's he's just not as good. Um, he has games where he wanders around and he just doesn't seem to do anything at all. So, so again, I'm not expecting us to get anything out of that game. So it would be a lightning strikes twice sort of thing to to beat them at home again. But again, it's it's a game that's maybe not as daunting as last season. And we should go out there and have a go in the same way that, um, you know, we should do against Arsenal. And Dan, look, just before I uh, mentioned to, to Steve about getting back to St Mary's, I think if you'd said to us at the start of the season that we'd go into these games, give or take on the 13th of December, 10 points and 10 places ahead of Arsenal and 4 points and 6 places ahead of uh, Man City, we'd probably have thought you were mad, right? Yeah, I think you'd think I'm crazy and you'd probably be asking for a curtailment now like in the season. <laughs> you know, cases are on the up, call the season off. No, it's hard to kind of add what what's already been said about the city game um and city in general uh you know i think steve made the point about guardiola and his contract and from my perspective you know obviously i have no kind of knowledge of man city and what's going on there but to me that contract looks like it's just been signed to get people to stop talking about the contract because you know that was had he not signed it that was just going to dominate their whole season and you know it, it just they just look tired up there don't they and you know glenn had mentioned the fact that aguero is obviously a miss but they've had nearly six months to try and figure out what to do without him I think he's played what three games this season or three starts and again uh, Gabriel was just Danny Ings is a better option than, than Gabriel in my opinion but similar similar to Arsenal you know the thing that worries me about Man City is that Arsenal have got Aubameyang and Lacazette Man City have a lot more better individual players that you know on the turn of a dime can do something you know De Bruyne you know world class Sterling on his day unplayable Mares, you know can create something out of nothing I mean you could go through so many, of their, so many of their players and just say, yeah, game changer, game changer, game changer. And all it takes is one of them to do something brilliant. And then at that point, you hold your hands up and say, yeah, fair enough. But again, Southampton shouldn't be worried about playing Man City. You know, I don't think anyone should be worried about playing Man City at the moment. You just have to be wary of the players they have. And, you know, Ralph will make sure that no, st- no stone is left unturned. Um, preparing for the game so yeah it should be another interesting interesting match brilliant alright just finally Steve you're going to be uh, in the crowd at St Mary's for that fixture then having been chosen through the uh, club selection policy for returning fans so uh, just briefly you must be excited about getting back to uh, quote church 
yeah thoroughly looking forward to it yeah it was good seeing seeing all the photos and videos from uh from people from earlier today obviously hoping it's not absolutely hammering it down with rain like it uh like it was this morning but yeah it's it's gonna be good good to be back although i kind of append that with an asterisk depending on uh what happens on thursday because obviously if london goes into tier three then i'm screwed but yeah look looking forward to it and it'll be a yeah it'll be a be a good test that game and just be just be a different viewpoint finally i think they're i assume they're going to carry on with the this policy of basically just putting everybody in the Kingsland stand. So, um, so it's going to be a slightly different, different viewing angle for me as well from what I'm used to. Yeah. We could probably just get you a Glenda LaCour face mask cut out and you can just say you're from Hedge End or something like that. So don't worry about it. I'm sure we can sort <laughs> it. All right. So, uh, yeah, I just, just talking about the, uh, you mentioned, uh, this morning, uh, with the, uh, Sheffield United game. It did make me laugh because I was watching uh, a game yesterday. I can't remember which one it was. It must have been the Manchester Derby. And I think Martin Tyler said about, uh, St. Sheffield United being a midday and you could roll out of bed to watch that one and I was thinking there's Martin Tyler he hasn't got a four and a seven year old because 12 o'clock in this house is about tea time so uh, there we go but uh, right let's go on with uh, some predictions so we're going to do our predictions for Arsenal first and then we'll do our predictions for uh, Man City so uh, Dan you've already shown some uh, positive optimism uh, earlier on so let's start with you for Arsenal 2-1 Southampton 2-1 win brilliant all right Glenn what do you reckon uh, I'm going to go for exactly the same for the Arsenal game. 2-1 yeah. Southampton. Good. All right, Steve? Uh, I'm going to go for 2-0 Saints. Ooh, and, also, and also with um, lots and lots of disgruntled booing. <laughs> all right. A bonus point if that happens. All right. Yeah. So actually, we should probably take a point well, I mean, that, that's, it probably that's will just happen. Take, that's just taken as red. It's Arsenal. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, I'm going to go for Arsenal to win 1-0, unsurprisingly. Um, Man City then. Let's do it in reverse order. Steve, what do you reckon for that one? Oh, God. I actually think we're going to win. Um, God, we've all gone yeah, mad. I, yeah, I know, but I I've just been deeply unimpressed with City. Um and I think we've got exactly the game that, that could completely screw them over, so I think we're gonna win one nil. One nil, right. Glenn, what do you reckon? Uh against my usual sunny positive disposition that I've got. Um I'm gonna go for a one nil defeat. Oh, game. I like your style. I like those. They're good. Yeah, uh, I, I just, I just think it'll be, it'll be a bridge too far. It'd be nice to come out of these, these two games still in the top four, which would mean with the, you know, we should probably be officially members of the big six. But um, yeah, I, I think that game will be a bridge too far. Maybe see some rotation for that game as well. I can see the wingers getting swapped over as we're fairly strong there. But yeah, we'll see. Like, like you and me when we spoke to Toby Glenn, I'm still celebrating the fact we're one of the big nine. So let's not jump too far ahead of ourselves. So uh, yeah, um, there we go. Right, I'll, I'll, unsurprisingly, I'm going for a nil-one uh, defeat as well because uh, obviously that's uh, what I do. Um, Dan, come on, then end the pod on a high. Southampton versus Man City, the title race. You know, this is a big game, everything on the line here. I mean, this could set a psychological mark for the rest of the season, well, couldn't it? Well, I hope you're on about my lead at the top of the predictions league and not the Premier League. <laughs> of course I am, um, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it cautious and go with a two-all draw, two just all with draw. that, you know, that two-point cushion in mind. <laughs> yeah, well, you're going you're gonna to finish in the top four of the prediction league. <laughs> pre- predict, predicting tactically now, Jesus. <laughs> You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. As always, a big thank you to you for listening to this week's Total Saints podcast. A big thanks also to Steve, Glenn, Dan and, of course, Greg Baker. We'll be back again next Sunday for one final pod for 2020, which will include our now traditional 
dodgy Christmas quiz. Before that, look out for a bonus pre-Christmas special during the week as I recently spoke to Southampton's goal machine, Ricky Lambert. In an extended, exclusive chat, Ricky spoke about joining Saints, Pardew Adkins Pochettino, fitness and nutrition, the journey to the Premier League with us, and of course... That goal against Scotland. Our patrons have had the exclusive period to listen via their Patreon accounts already and really enjoyed it. Otherwise, until we catch up again, have a good week. Good luck with any last-minute Christmas shopping. And, of course, keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.